let's begin and remember where we are in the calendar and in our history. And tonight begins a period called the nine days. We're right now in what's called the three weeks. Tonight we'll begin the nine days, which culminates in Tishabov. And we're mourning, we're mourning something. And a lot of times we get caught as we come to this time of year. I feel like a lot of us don't know what Hashem wants from us. We don't really know what the calendar is asking of us. What is Judaism saying that we should experience during this time of year? What's the morning? And how do we make the morning meaningful and beneficial? And that's a very, very important part of going through any experience, is that how should it come out beneficial? Because Judaism does not believe in sinking ourselves into depression. Heaven forbid. That's an extremely destructive force. And yet we've got three weeks where we begin to mourn, and then nine weeks, of course, I don't think we do this appropriately, but the way it's meant to be done is three weeks, and then it intensifies nine days, and then it of course, reaches its climax on Tishavah. How do we make this experience something that we can relate to, but also something that helps move us forward? And the first step is, really, for every one of us, now, especially as we're beginning to enter the nine days, it's a time to try to reconnect with what we lost. And that definitely has to be the starting point. We need to know what we lost. It's been a few thousand years. It's hard to relate when you first think about it. But I would like to suggest something that I really believe is true. And that it's not hard to relate if we actually pause and absorb the meaning and the realities that are going on around us. And I will speak for myself. As we sit exiled for so many years, as it has been so long, since we have seen the grace of Hashem's palace and home. It's been so long since things have been right that we've almost begun to think this is right. A person when they're most severely sick is when they no longer recognize their failing health. But let's be honest about our life and about the world around us. And I think we have a unique opportunity this year because the world doesn't feel stable anymore. It's not like in the past when we had to look so far, so deep past the norm to realize the reality. Hashem has shaken up the world. And in truth, in a certain way, we are lost at sea. If everyone could just think about life and our own life and our attempts to grow and to navigate and to figure out where we should go and what we should do and how to manage difficulty, suffering and worry. Sometimes we can feel it the sense of being lost at sea, a ship without a rudder, a loss of the navigation. And you're not wrong. If you have felt that, you should know that is truth. That's part of what we lost on the kinnas that we say on Tishabov. The beautiful Python wrote, 
And it strikes me every year. And the captain, I'm reading it to you from the translation of the art scroll. And the captain, as we're in the so as we're mourning there on Tisha B'av, this is the expression that they've given for us to place on our lips. And the captain of the ship has ascended. Our captain, oh captain! Captain! Our captain has ascended. How do we make it home? How do we keep navigating? How do we not crash into the rocks if we don't have a captain? How do we know what to do? How do we know where to go? How do we know what Hashem wants from us? How do we know how to become somebody better and to navigate the difficulties of this world? Where is our captain? When we had a base on Mikdash, we must remember we are not mourning a building. We are not mourning a building. We're not foolish. We are mourning something much deeper. And we need to try to tap into it and to feel it. And we will realize as we continue this class that this is the beginning of our emergence as a people, of using this in a way that will produce a greater future. It starts when we feel and we recognize we're not mourning a building. We're mourning what that building was for us. What was that building? Oh, why don't I read a Pusik? A Pusik in Shemais. And we will understand very clearly what this building was. Very well-known Pasek. It's when God gave the command to build the Mishkan, the tabernacle, in the desert, which ultimately was then made into a base of Mikdash when they got to Eretz Yisrael, to the land of Israel. The Osuli Mikdash. The Shachanti B'Soycham. Make me a sanctuary. Hashem tells the Jewish people, Make me a house, a building, a tabernacle. Make me a holy, hallowed space. Vishachanti v'soycham, and I will live among you. I will live with you. That the difference of having a base of is not a building. It's how will Hashem take His role in our life, how revealed will it be, how much will we be able to see and dance and, and, and recognize the glory of Hashem. Will we be able to see that we have a captain? We know where to go to direct our lives. We know who we want to direct our lives towards. The great and awesome Beis Hamikdash was the deep and profound connection that we had with Hashem in an unbelievably revealed way. And when we ask for that, when we're mourning that, when we feel the loss, when we're yearning to have it restored, we're yearning for everything that comes with it, not the stones of the building, but the heart of that building. Your heart. Where is your heart? Where is my heart? Unfortunately, it was burnt along with the temple. We don't have the same connection. Not in that way that it was. 
And that is what we yearn for. As we say on Yom Kippur, when we're in the middle of the Yom Kippur davening, there's a part called the Avoida, where we start to recount the service in the Beis HaMikdash, in the Temple, on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. And almost as if they couldn't hold back. After we finish the service, the davening switches to a different tone. And it almost feels like Tishabov. We begin to yearn and miss and long for the Beis HaMikdash. Because on Yom Kippur, when we know what occurred on, on that day, when all the Jewish people did the holiest service and we, we witnessed the red thread turned white. We witnessed the forgiveness of God. And that happened in the temple. We don't have it in that same revealed awesome way anymore. And so all of a sudden you're dominating on Yom Kippur and the next thing you know you're having Tisha above. And you're saying, oh my goodness, where is our Beis HaMikdash? And there's paragraph after paragraph describing how lost we are without it, begging Hashem to restore it. And in one paragraph, I'll read you a few lines of the English so that we remember what we're talking about here. Let us not be like people that lost the love of our life and aren't even aware of it. This is the step one to take advantage of these days. To reconnect with what we lost. Listen to these words. Grant a happy ending to your people. We're asking Hashem on Yom Kippur. Bring back, bring the temple back among us. Restore our temple. But it's not just a temple. Listen to how it continues. Exalt the loftiest of mountains. Stand erect the cut down pride of your people. <laughs> Don't restore just a building. Restore your people. We're shattered. We're fragmented. We're a refraction of who we're supposed to be. Restore us. Hearten your beloved. Seal a new covenant with her. You hear this? Remarry us. Reunite with us. Seal a new covenant with us. May her life be precious in your eyes. Purify her with pure waters. God, we're so impure. We need you. We need you back in our lives. We need you to purify us. We don't know how to purify ourselves. Make our love known to all. Walk amid our camps. These are just a few lines of the stunning davening that we have on Yom Kippur. Give us a new bond with you. Purify us. Walk amongst us once again. God said he will dwell among us inside every one of us. You want to know what we lost? We lost the love of our life. That's what we lost. Some dimension of that relationship was pulled away. An aspect, a stunning, glorious, unbelievable part of it went out. The captain of our ship has ascended. The love of our life is now roaming the streets like a beggar. And we are roaming the streets as well. And when we look at the world around us, and I sent this out in a video at the beginning of the three weeks, but I'm going to repeat it. When we see the coronavirus, and we see the upheaval in the world, and everyone's looking 
for comfort and stability. And unfortunately, we lost two precious people from our community in Memphis. But of course, of course, across the world, so many, thousands and thousands of people. And we say, Hashem, get rid of this virus. Hashem, heal the sick. Hashem, relieve us from pain. Hashem, give us financial stability. And of course, we must cry out those things. But we also must remember what is the core. What is the core part that's broken? Is it really a virus? Or is there something deeper? I want to tell you a parable. It's an unbelievable parable right now from the Dibrechaim. The Dibrechaim said that there once was the son of the king who did something wrong and he was banished to a far off mountain village of peasants. And the decades passed, decades passed, and the prince suffered terribly in this mountain village. Because over there, the way you would survive is by building a mud hut. And this prince, he was not handy. He's royalty. He doesn't do work. People do work for him. And there he is trying to build this hut and he never could get it right. And the decades passed and he suffers in the winter from the cold, in the summer from the heat. Then it's miserable. And 30 years after he's stuck in this mountain village, there's a buzz. The king is coming to travel through the village. And everyone knows that if you could write a request on a paper and throw it onto the carriage of the king, whatever you write, he will grant you. And the king rides into the village and he knows his son has been here for 30 years. And as he drives through, he sees his son run up to the carriage. And he's so excited. And his son throws a note up. And the king runs to pick it up. He opens it. It's from his dear son who he hasn't seen in 30 years. And he opens it up and he starts to cry. He's burst into tears. And they say, Your Highness, what's the matter? And he said, Look, my son threw a note up. And on the note he wrote, Please, Your Highness, can you please build me a mud hut? And the king starts crying. He said, if he would only remember he's a prince, he doesn't need a mud hut. He needs to come home. If he would have written, your highness, my father, please bring me home, he wouldn't need a hut. The only reason he has a problem is because he's not home. Now he needs a hut. But if he's home in the palace, he has everything. And the Dibrechaim used to say this. And he used to say, we got to request all the little things, of course. That's what the relationship is about. We request what we need. But let us not forget what's at the core of the request. The reason that things are broken is because we're in exile. We're not home. We don't have our Father with us in that revealed, unbelievable way where He displays His love for us. We're not in our palace. But let's not forget that that is where we belong. And when we come to these days, the nine days, the Tisha B'Av, let us make sure to reconnect with the truth of that. And realize there is one point that's at the core of it all. Yes, Hashem saved me from the virus. Keep everyone healthy. And above all, bring us home so that we don't have to worry about any of it. End all of the suffering. End all of the lost souls of your people that are wandering. And the lost state of humanity that can't figure out up from down, left from right. 
The world is falling apart because we're not home. Your Highness, Your Majesty, Daddy, Abba, bring us home. Please bring us home. That's the beginning of this experience. Is we have to feel what we're even shedding a tear over. But then we must remember the full picture. Because if we get lost in the fact that the Jews have suffered, that Hashem pushed us away, that we failed and we sinned and we lost our temple, we may, heaven forbid, begin to think that this is hopeless, that Hashem wiped His hands clean of us. And that is the most destructive thinking that can happen. And heaven forbid. If we do it that way, then this becomes a depressing time of the year. It's not meant to be depressing. How so? This is where we come to a crucial element that one must keep in mind throughout all the morning and which is displayed prominently in something that's almost you may take it for granted because you think that the calendar just works. But when we view the calendar from a spiritual perspective, there's almost something that screams that we don't have the full picture. And then Asibah Shalom points this out. And that is this coming Shabbos. There is always one Shabbos during the nine days. There's always a Shabbos. And the Shabbos before Tisha B'Av is referred to as Shabbos Chazoyim. That's the custom. We call it Shabbos Chazoyim. And then the Siv Shalom says, why? Yes, it is true. We read part of the prophets that begins, that has the word Chazoyim in it. It's a vision. Chazoyim means a vision. But we don't call the name of every Shabbos by the name of the Haftarah portion from the prophets. No. Why are we calling this Shabbos Chazoyim? And then Esiva Shalom tells us something very powerful that we must keep in mind as we get into this experience if we want it to be something magnificent. And yes, I said magnificent about mourning. Because I'm telling you, if it's in the calendar, it's magnificent. If it's in the calendar, it's to build you up, not to take you down. It's to move us forward and higher, not lower, heaven forbid. Shabbos Chazoyin, says the Nisim Shalom, is a vision. You know what it's a vision about? Heaven forbid that we may think that Hashem is pushing us away and chasing us out of His house because He doesn't want anything to do with us. If that's what this time of year was about, how could we have Shabbos in the middle of it? The entire Shabbos is all about This is the sign of the eternal covenant between me and the Jews. This is my love for the Jews. This day Hashem gave us a gift where Hashem elevates us. Where we experience the pristine connection with Him. What on earth is Shabbos doing in the middle of this dark period of mourning? Says the Nesiv Shalom, Shabbos Chazoyin. That's why we call it a vision. Because when we are suffering and reflecting on the loss, we must maintain a vision. A vision of the deep and profound love that Hashem has for us. And not that Hashem had for us, but that He has for us right now. That in the middle of this, we have Shabbos to say, by the way, don't think Hashem's not with you. When you went into exile, Hashem came with you into exile. Hashem loves you and He'll never ever separate from you. 
All Hashem wants is to get back together with you. Heaven forbid He never sent you away. At least not to send you away. But rather to reconnect. As Rav Meir says in the Gemara, even when the Jews sin, they're still called Hashem's children. We never lose the status of that deep bond. And in fact, in fact, the, when Shabbos comes in the middle of the nine days, says the Nesiv Shalom, it's the greatest vision of love, more than any other Shabbos. Do you know why? Because when things are going well, and someone says they love you, that's good and fine. But when there is friction and a problem in the relationship, when things are broken and need healing, and despite that, they turn and say, I just want you to know, I know we're going through a difficult time. I know we need to work on this. But I just want you to know I love you. I just want you to know we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this together. Let's spend the Shabbos together in the middle of it. That is a vision of the deepest, most profound love more than any other Shabbos. And the great rebels used to say that this Shabbos is the highest Shabbos of the whole year. It's the highest Shabbos of the whole year. The greatest. And the Nesim Shabbos says, this is why. Because on this Shabbos, Hashem displays His love for us greater than any other Shabbos. When everything is crumbling and Hashem says, yeah, but don't forget that I love you. That's a love that's not dependent on anything. That's a love that's got to go into our bones and wake us up. To make us realize that we are not mourning something that has happened and is hopeless. Quite the contrary. We are mourning what was and continues to be something that's painful to us and Hashem because we love each other. Because we love each other. We're not moving on. We're not letting the relationship end. We won't forget. That's what it means to mourn. You say, I'm not going to forget. I'm not going to let it slip away. And instead just go marry money. Go marry desire. Physicality. No. I won't let the world pull me away from you, God. I won't let it erase the pictures from our wedding as we stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. I won't let that album be shredded and burnt. I won't move on. Thousands of years. Good grief. Jews, let it go. That's exactly what we won't do. Because it ain't over. It's not over at all. Hashem is right here with us. And we have so much with Him. And we're so in love with Him and we're so connected. And we know it can be even greater. We know that we're missing so much of that beauty. For now, it's not something in the past. We want it restored right now. We know it can be. We know Hashem's with us. And therefore, we're not letting this go. In fact... If it fades from our memory, we will work and we will get together on a Tuesday to remember and remind ourselves why we should cry. Because we're not walking out on this relationship. To stop caring is to leave it behind. And we won't do that. Hashem didn't leave us yet. We're not going to be the ones to leave him. 
And that Shabbos Chazorin, to see the vision, the vision of the love of Hashem, like the Gemara recounts, that when they stormed into the Holy of Holies during the time of the destruction of the Temple, and they pulled out the Ark, and on the Ark we know there were the Kruvim, those two angel-like figures that represented God and the Jews. And they pulled it out, and usually those figures were just pointing towards each other. And during the destruction, when we were sinners, yes, we fell, we made mistakes. And Hashem had to say, you must go. And it was at that exact moment they pulled it out, and there they saw the two Kruvim hugging. So that when we marched out into exile, we should see that and we should know Hashem still loves us. Hashem is waiting for us to return. This is not despondency. Quite the opposite. This is meant to be the time to rebuild. To begin again. And we must see that. We must see that in this morning, it's not really bleak. It is the beginning of the sunrise, the dawn of the new future. That's what this is. It's darkest before dawn. And in this darkness we find the rising of the sun again. That's what this is about. And there's a medrash. A medrash tells us exactly this. That a father was holding his son. And the son said, where's my father? There's the father carrying the son, and the son says, where's my father? I don't have a father. He says, you don't have a father. I'm the one carrying you. He got got used to being carried. He said, I don't have a father. Where's my father? He said, you don't have a father. Let me remind you. And he puts his son down. And a snake comes. And the kid goes, snake! Yeah, daddy, daddy, where are you? And he turns around and he sees his father and he runs to his father and he clambers up him. Hold me, hold me, daddy. Did the father put his son down to get rid of the son? No. He put the son down so that the son would come back to him. And the Kedusha Slavi, the Badichiva says, that's what's going on. That Hashem said, We had the temples, we had it all, we had the beauty, we had the revealed connection, but somehow in that experience we faded. And we forgot our father. We lost our relationship. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. Heaven forbid Hashem doesn't want to get rid of us. But He wants us to be in love again. He wants us to reconnect. He wants us to fix the mistakes, to repair the relationship. And Hashem realized the only way that's going to happen is if He puts us down. So he sent us out of the house. You've got to go so that you can come back home. And that's the period we're in. A period of rebuilding from within the sense of loss. But until we feel the loss, we don't know what to rebuild. So we start by feeling it. Realizing what we lost. Realizing the love of Hashem that we have with us. Realizing that Hashem did it all just so that we would reconnect. And then when we feel it and we realize what it is and we yearn for it. Then we begin to regret our ways and pledge ourselves to a new beginning. And that is the new beginning. From here we... Begin to build a new base Amikdash, a new relationship. And that is why our great holy rabbis tell us that these three weeks that we are experiencing of mourning, they're parallel to the three weeks from Rosh Hashanah all the way to Shmini Atzeres at the end of Sukkot. What do these three weeks have to do with those three weeks? Those three weeks are the best weeks. We're celebrating 
They're unbelievable. We sit in our sukkah, which is literally like sitting in the base of Mikdash with Hashem. We, oh, it's unreal. The answer is yes. They're parallel. It begins here. It begins with the rebound from this period of time in our life when we see it, we feel it, we yearn for what we had and we begin to climb again. It's re- The rebirth is from this. And then we build something that's better than what we lost. Like the Cabrina says, when an artist wants to paint something particularly beautiful, first they paint the canvas black. And then they're able to paint a picture on it which is stunning. He says that's this period. This is the black backdrop that we're able to then paint on a new picture, a new future, and it's even more beautiful than had it been on the canvas itself. A very key part for myself of really feeling the Tisha above, the morning and the rebuilding at the same time is when I sense and I picture for myself how Hashem is experiencing this time of year and how Hashem is mourning more than we ever will over the loss of his children. I'll read to you a Gemara. It's a Gemara in Brachas. And listen to what the Gemara says. The Gemara says that when we go into Shul and we daven, that Hashem, that's what it says, the Holy One blessed be He shakes His head and says, when we go into Shul and we're davening, this is what Hashem says. How fortunate is the king who is thus praised in his house. What is left to the father who exiled his children? What is left for me, he says. And woe to the children who were exiled from their father's table. And the Gomorrah there says as well that they heard a heavenly voice saying a cry. Woe to the children that caused me to destroy my house, burn my temple and exile them among the nations. They heard a cry from heaven. Hashem was mourning. And Elijah the prophet says in the Gemara over there, Eliyahu Anavi said, that there is a heavenly cry three times every single day for the loss of what we had. That Hashem is mourning and crying. And yet at the same time, the Kruvim were hugging. And I sometimes picture, this is, this is to me the most inspiring part of getting ourselves in the right place. Is not the destruction, oh, we were pained. We're suffering so much. But what does that suffering mean? And imagine Hashem's suffering. It's His children. But why is He doing it? Does He hate us? No, He loves us. So why is He doing it? Because we needed, we needed to build a better future. And when you combine all that, I almost envision it like as if a parent had to send their child into very dangerous surgery. You imagine you walk into the hospital and their child is in there on the table and their life is on the line. And of course, it's meant to save the child's life, but it's so risky, it's so dangerous. And the parent is sitting there outside the surgery room, crying, davening, begging, please let my child live. 
There's nobody waiting for that child to come out of that room like that parent standing there. They are the ones who sent the child in. But there's no one waiting for them to come out healthy and well. There's nobody yearning to see that child as much as their mother standing outside that surgery room, as much as their father standing there with his tail and davening. And they're crying. They sent him in, but they're crying. They want to see him again. They want him to walk out of that room. And then finally the doors open up and the child comes out. And he says, Mama, Mommy, Daddy, Abba, Ima, and he comes running out. And they're crying, their tear-streaked face, and they embrace him, and they hug him, and they weep, and they thank God that they got their child back. That is what's going on. Hashem sent us into this surgery room because He knows we need it. But He's sitting there crying, missing us and hoping that we will come out okay. rooting for us and in pain over our pain and eager to see us walk out of this painful exile healed and restored and better. And when I imagine that on Tisha B'Av, when I imagine that I'm sitting on the floor and Hashem is, so to speak, sitting right next to me, crying more than I am, and we're crying on each other's shoulders because we miss each other, we're crying together because we want to see each other again. Then I pledge and I say, love of my life, God Almighty, I will not be the one to make you sit on this floor again next year. Your heart can ache along with Hashem. It aches to see the restoration of all of that beauty and all of that love. It aches when you know that Hashem aches even more for you. That Hashem cries even more. So we cry together. And when we cry, we are perhaps for the first time in the whole year Sitting with Hashem again. We're crying, but at least we're sitting with Him again. You cry together with Him. And you cry over what was, but you also realize that it doesn't have to continue this way. And this is what it's really about. That when we realize what we want, then we can go get it. And when we say we don't want to mourn this anymore, we're yearning to see a future that's different. And we must believe that that future is coming. Really. God willing, maybe even this Tisha B'Av we won't sit on the floor. Maybe Mashiach will come today. In five minutes, it will happen. I guarantee it's not a question. It will happen one day. In our crying is not hopelessness. We know the future's coming. But the crying is a determination. A determination that this is not our ideal. We miss you, Hashem. And then we determine our, we, we steal ourselves, we pledge ourselves that we're going to try and pick up the pieces and end this. That we will try to restore the relationship so that we can go home. Because the surgery is successful when we decide to become successful in our Judaism. That's all Hashem is waiting for. He's just waiting for us. That's why it parallels Rosh Hashanah 
to Shemini Atzeres. That's why these nine days, the Pelioids brings down our parallel to the ten days of repentance. Because during this time, we find the determination to end this. And to become the great people that Hashem is yearning and aching and longing and praying to see. Shabbos Chazoyim, the vision of our love has to be the core of all the morning. The vision of the love and then the morning on top. It's the crying and the yearning the aching and the longing, the love and the separation, that's the full picture. And when we see it that way, then during these days, we say, wait, so what's it waiting for? Why are we still apart? The answer is us. great and awesome story with the Minkas Lazar. He went to go meet the Saba Kadisha, a very elderly great rabbi in Israel. And he went to visit him just shortly before he died. And he went and he had a private meeting with him, but they put their ears to the door to hear what he said. And he said to the Saba Kadisha, where is Mashiach? Where is he? How far away is he? And the Saba Kedisha said, he's really just on the other side of the door. He's like just, he's right here. Analogous to, he's just on the other side of the door. He's just on the other side. So the Minchas the great Minchas said, why isn't he coming? Why doesn't he come in? And the Saba Kedisha said, because there are people who are stopping him. And they heard the Minchas Lazar start to cry. And he said, Am I one of those people? Am I one of the people stopping Mashiach? The Minchas Lazar understood that it's us. We are the people that matter. We are the people that this revolves around. We are the ones that need to rise and restore and rebuild the relationship with Hashem to rebuild the base of Mikdash through our actions. It's us. And that's where we need to hit the point where we say, good grief, enough. I want to fix this. Let's do it. Hashem, I want to walk with you hand in hand again. Let's begin a new future. And you're saying, you're looking at this, you're saying, what are you talking about? Who are we to restore the, the, the relationship? Who are we? And the answer is, it's pieces. Pieces, little fragments of pieces that we all bring to the table that equal the whole. I'm not saying any one of us single-handedly is going to bring Mashiach. I'm saying we're all going to bring pieces. We all have the opportunity and the chance to restore our part. And when the pieces are put back together, then the Jews and their great creator will be unified again. But the Jews means every one of us has our part to reconnect. It's a great, amazing parable was given. That this band, this army stormed into the kingdom and they attacked the palace. And they attacked the palace and they stole from the treasury the precious, precious stones that this king had in his treasury. And upon these stones, the entire kingdom operated. They were mystical stones. And without it, 
He could not be king the same way. And the army took these stones and scattered out across the world, selling the stones, passing the stones on. They were gone. They disappeared. They vanished. And this king, he was the king of the birds. And all these birds that lived with him in his palace. And he told the birds, we can't go on, we must find those stones, those gems. He said, go, go find those gems. And he kept trying to coax them to go find the gems so they could restore the kingdom back to the way it was. But you know what he found? The birds didn't want to leave home. The palace was their home. The king realizing there was no choice. He had to get the birds to go out and find the, the gems. So he burnt his own palace down. And when there was no palace, the birds left and began to wander earth. They had no home, so they began to wander. But in their wandering, they never forgot what the king said. That when all the gems will be brought back, the palace will be rebuilt. They didn't forget their mission, which is why they were sent away from home, was to bring back the precious diamonds of the king, restore the glory. And so wherever they went, they would be on the lookout for these precious gems and they would pick them up in their beak and they would fly them back to the king and the king would wait there in the forest, in the, and in the fields he had no palace and the birds would land and give him another gem and he would say, thank you, my sweet child. You have restored a piece of our kingdom. You have restored a piece of our palace. Keep on going. Soon we will be home. Soon we'll be able to come home and the birds would fly out and sometimes they would end up by enemies of the king, enemy territory. And there too, they kept their eyes open to find those diamonds, to bring them back to the king. And when all those diamonds will be restored, the king will rebuild his palace again. We are the ones that bring back those pieces, those diamonds, wherever we are. We're in Memphis, we're in Israel, we're in LA, we're anywhere in the globe. We're not home. But that's because the diamonds are where we are. This is where we need to pronounce Hashem's name and restore His glory so that we can come back home. We have unbelievable things to accomplish. If Meilach Biedermann said over that in Eretz Yisrael there was a terrible famine a long time ago, I should say not so recently, it was a terrible, horrible famine. And everyone was starving. And there was one boy who went to school, and in that school the Rebbe had a custom that when they would finish the thing they were learning, he would celebrate by giving out cake. And this Rebbe was committed. He refused to let the famine get in the way of the joy of Torah study that he would show his kids. And he sacrificed to get his hands on some cake. And that day he gave out cake to all of the boys. And one of the boys said, I can't eat this cake. I've got to save this and bring this home to my father. My father's at home. He's so hungry. I've got to bring him this delicacy, this cake. It's like a hundred million dollars when you're in a situation like that. I love my father. I can't just eat the cake at school. I've got to bring it home to his father. So he tucks it away in his bag. And by the break, by recess, he goes, you know what? I know I'm bringing it to my father, but I just got to take a look at the cake. And he goes and he takes a little look at the cake. He goes, wow, wow, that looks like good cake. Yeah, I, you know, let me just take a little nibble from this side. He takes a little nibble. Okay, puts it away. The rest is for my father. Well, the next break, he goes back. He goes, oh, you know, the other side looks pretty whole. I could take a little nibble from the other side. Each break throughout the day, he goes back and he says, this is for my father, this is for my father. But, but just a little nibble, it's so good. Aha, a, a little nibble. By the end of the day, he comes home and he comes, he says, Abba, I have something for you. I saved for you. And he opens the bag and there, all that's left in the bag is just a little teeny bite of cake out of the whole thing. And the father starts crying tears of joy. 
And he hugs his son so close. And he says, you have given me such a great treat. You have shown such deep love for me. Because I could tell how much you wanted the cake by how much is missing. And yet you brought me back a bite of it. The Malach Bilman said, that is the great gift we have. We think of ourselves as so low. It's not true. It's true. We're bringing back Hashem just little pieces of nibbled up cake. <laughs> because that shows how hard it is. It's hard for us. We've been in exile for so long. We don't have a captain. It's hard. And when you bring back that little piece of cake to Hashem, when you bring back that little diamond, you should know that Hashem sees all of that. He sees how hard it was. He sees that this is not the same as it used to be and we are not the same great people that used to be. And that's what makes it so great. And Hashem hugs us. And He says, my little bird, you're doing unbelievable. Keep bringing me these little pieces and we will soon see each other again. And I watched when the Jersey City shooting happened and they killed the wife of that grocery store owner. I heard his eulogy for his wife. And I want to tell you what I heard him say. After thousands of years of exile, let me tell you what a Jew looks like. After thousands of years of exile, you tell me if Hashem's not dancing. After suffering the loss of his wife, such a horrible story, an exile, a real hiding of Hashem's face, and at the eulogy, he turned to Hashem and he said, Hashem, give me the strength. I don't have my wife. Give me the strength to raise my kids to follow in your ways. That's not a diamond. We can't give diamonds. God at the funeral of his wife. Hashem, you, you're the cause of everything, but everything's good. But please give me the strength so that I could raise another generation to follow in your ways. So yes, it is up to us and we are great enough to do it. Our crumbs are not crumbs, they're glorious. Our diamonds that we bring from far-flung lands that have not seen holiness, deep mired in the mud and the dirt of physicality and everyday living, when we figure out how to take one step closer to God, when we go through this time of year and say, we miss you, we are hurting, we don't like the way the world looks. But not because we need a mud hut. We need you. We need to be home. And we cry on Hashem's shoulders during this time of year. Cry with Him. Cry over what we don't have and cry over the love that we do have. And then we pledge ourselves and we say, Hashem, I, I will do my utmost. So that by Tishabov of this year, or by Tishabov of next year, we will no longer have to sit on the floor, but rather, like Chazal tell us, it will turn into a holiday, the restoration of the third temple, the birth of Mashiach, because when you experience Tishabov like that, you have given birth to Mashiach. May we all merit to cry, rejoice, celebrate, and have the vision of what it means to be with Hashem. And from this experience to begin a whole new relationship and commitment 
to the love of our life. And may we all merit to see the transformation of Tisha B'Av from mourning into rejoicing with the coming of Mashiach and the rebuilding of the third temple and the rekindling of the deep, profound love between us and Hashem Yisborach, may we see it speedily in our days.